Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. If you take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 is where we'll be in a moment, Matthew chapter 1. And while you're turning, I want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services. Our Christmas Eve service is coming up very, very, very soon. Uh, we have three different opportunities for you to worship with us on Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 4.30, and 6 o'clock. And uh, there'll be opportunities for you to watch that later on TV and online a couple days later. Uh, but if you want to uh, actually experience it on Christmas Eve, you'll have to be here in person. And so we hope, again, you'll join us in person on uh, Christmas Eve. Today we continue our series, the Awkward Family Christmas Series. Hopefully you've enjoyed the ugly sweaters, the awkward sweaters so far. I really like Pastor Mike's sweater. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to see that yet, I love that one. It's not a llama, but I still uh, I love it anyway. And I see some sweaters out here, some ugly sweaters. You might not even known that you were participating in the ugly Christmas sweater competition, uh, but thank you for participating uh, nonetheless. I want to begin today by asking you what your ideal Christmas day would be. What would your ideal Christmas day be if you could spend it with anybody, anywhere, doing anything? Maybe your ideal Christmas day looks something like this. On a nice tropical beach somewhere with your kids, grandkids, perhaps close. Not too close, but close enough. Uh, you've got a pineapple drink in your hand and you're celebrating Christmas day. Maybe, for instance, your ideal Christmas looks something more like this. You love to ski. You can picture yourself maybe in one of our, our, our slopes in West Virginia or maybe out at the Rockies. You come in to exchange gifts, drink hot chocolate, and then you go back out on the slopes. Maybe your ideal Christmas day would be to travel around Europe, get to experience the Christmas markets of Frankfurt and Berlin or, or Paris or Prague. That would be the ideal Christmas day for you, perhaps. Well, this morning I want to tell you about the ideal Christmas day for me. My wife is in this service. She's not heard this yet. Uh, our other services have heard this. But I want to tell you about my ideal Christmas day. Be sure you take notes, sweetheart. Um, the ideal Christmas day is uh, we sleep in till noon or so. You know, maybe 1130 or noon. And then we get up slowly and I wake to the sound and smell of crackling, sizzling bacon on the stove. I come downstairs and the kids put a cup of coffee in one hand and the Christmas story in the other and the kids say, no rush opening presents, Dad. Let's just read the Christmas story first. And take your time, by the way. And so I sit down and open and read the Christmas story and all the kids listen intently and we eventually get around to opening presents and, and all the children wait for the other one to open gifts and they're just happy for the others to open their gifts first. And then when we're all done, Sarah looks at me and she says, Sweetheart, it's been a rough season, been a busy season for you. Won't you go back upstairs and read a book? Won't you go watch some TV? I'll take care of the electronics. I'll take care of the wrapping paper. I'll take care of the batteries. You go have a great rest of your day. That would be an ideal Christmas day for me. I'll let you know how that works out. But the truth is we often set high expectations for our holidays. We really do want everything to be perfect. We have images in our minds of children playing and church bells ringing and people smiling and getting along. But 
it's seldom ever really that way. What's supposed to be the happiest season of all turns out not to be anything close. Maybe for you, this Christmas is going to be especially hard. Maybe it's because of an illness that you're struggling with or the memory of a loved one, someone who passed away this past year. Maybe it's a divorce that you experienced recently or loneliness or a painful memory or it's just the annual fear of gathering with some people that you may not particularly like. I don't know what your Christmas is going to be like, but I will make you this guarantee. Your Christmas this year will not be perfect. I'll guarantee it. Your Christmas this year will not be perfect. And so I believe the Lord has has brought you here today to hear this message so that you can go into Christmas Day with reasonable expectations and maybe see this Christmas through gospel lenses See it with a new perspective and a new heart in a way that maybe you haven't before. In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you one thing to know and three things to do. One thing to know and three things to do. If you want to follow along on the app, it's all here on the app plus more. If you'd like to study the message later in the week, uh, it'll be there for you as well. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And I want to invite you to stand out of respect for the Bible Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The theme of the book of Matthew is to prove that Jesus is the continuation or the fulfillment of the whole biblical story of God and Israel, specifically that Jesus is from the line of David and that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew is trying to prove that Jesus is God with us. Now, God inspired this particular text in the Holy Scriptures to describe Jesus' unique, his, his unusual, his divine virgin conception and virgin birth. The whole purpose of the verses we just read was to lay the foundation for the rest of Matthew's gospel. Really, in these short verses, Matthew is answering two questions for us. The first question is, 
how does Jesus have the right, or why does Jesus have the right to die for our sins, which is a big theme in Matthew. Well, he answers that question in these seven or eight verses by explaining to us the reason he has the right to die for our sins is because he is not an ordinary man. He is the God-man. Another question that Matthew is answering is, why do, why do people worship Jesus? It's a theme that we see throughout Matthew's gospel all the way to the very end. Matthew 28, verse 17, the disciples fall down and worship Jesus. Why does Jesus have the right to receive worship? Well, he's answering that question for us in the verses we just read. He can receive worship because he is no ordinary man. He is the God-man. Now, last week, we took a little glimpse of the genealogies of Jesus. We heard about them in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, and about how so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. There were a lot of births last week, and we just looked at a handful of them. Well, out of the blue, in verse 18, Matthew then tells us there's another birth, and he emphasizes the birth. It's a continuation of the gene- genealogy. Essentially, he's saying, oh, let me tell you about one more birth except this birth is like no other birth prior or ever will be. This is a virgin conception, a virgin birth. Let's look a little closer at it. Verse 18, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary were ordinary people, at least on the outside. Mary was probably 15 or 16 when she gave birth to Jesus. Uh, Joseph was a small-town man. The town of Nazareth was a small town. It's still a small town, but it was really small in Jesus' day. It would be similar to the size of Matewan or Clay, West Virginia, or Burnsville, West Virginia. Uh, Approximately 500 or so people in the town. Joseph knew, probably knew the local baker. Joseph probably knew which neighbors complained about what, who in town could be trusted and who in town couldn't be trusted. Joseph knew all the streets by name. He would have known the mountain trails. Joseph was not of nobility, but he was a carpenter, a trade that he passed down to his sons, including Jesus Christ. Now, one thing to mention about Jesus being a carpenter, sometimes we picture him just working only with wood, and that's possible, we don't know. But if you're taking notes, the word carpenter in the New Testament can also be translated stonemason. So he was either a woodworker or a stonemason, or maybe both. Most likely, he worked in construction, and just like those who work in construction today, he could probably do it all. Now, we don't know for sure where Joseph worked, uh, but scholars believe it's quite possible that he would have worked, it's inevitable, he would have worked either in or for the nearby city named Sephorus, Sephorus or Sephorus. Sephorus was a Greco-Roman city. It was a huge city, and it was the regional capital of that area, and it was only three miles from Bethlehem. So it's very possible Joseph could have got up every morning and walked to this town, walked to this city, which historians tell us was under construction about 2,000 years ago during the time of Christ. 
So most likely, that's where Jesus learned to speak Greek, where Jesus learned to speak the trade language of the day. It's really interesting to think about Joseph taking Jesus with him to work. But in the verse we just read, we find out that Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. Let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to be pledged to be married? Well, it's the idea of engagement, except it's different than how we do engagement today. Really, our engagement process is a three-step process. Their engagement process was four steps. Think about our process. Somebody produces a ring, pops the question, right? Step one. Then there's a ceremony at some time later, step two. And then after the ceremony, there's the wedding night, the consummation of the wedding. Well, in their day, it was four steps. Some of you may like this. Some of you may not like this. The parents picked the spouse for their child, right? All the parents in here are like, yeah, that would be amazing, right? All the kids in here are like, absolutely not, like no way. But the parents picked the spouse, and then sometimes that's why they were very, very young, and then they signed a contract. Now, that contract could last one year, could last a multiple, multiple years until the couple was ready to be married, but roughly or so for about a year prior to their wedding ceremony, there was this period called betrothal where it was, they were committed. There was, this contract had been signed, they were committed, but it was kind of like a, a testing period to make sure one another were truly committed, one was truly committed to the other. And then there was the ceremony and then the consummation. But it was during that one-year period, that period of betrothal, that Mary was found to be pregnant with child. Think about what Joseph would have felt. Here's the woman he loves, right? This is his life. And to find out that she has stepped out on their commitment to one another, he knows the baby isn't his. How could Mary do this to me? Notice what Joseph does next, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph was a God-fearing man. At that time, to be under the Mosaic law meant that he had to divorce his wife or should divorce his wife-to-be. Thankfully, though, Joseph was also a compassionate man. Joseph didn't want to bring public disgrace on Mary. There's even one old Jewish law from Deuteronomy 22 that if a woman was found unfaithful during this engagement period, she could be executed. Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24. Now, Joseph didn't enact that law, but I guess he could have. But instead, Joseph loved Mary. He wanted to show her mercy, wanted to show her grace. Yes, he knew he couldn't marry her, but he wasn't going to disgrace her. Notice verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Imagine the relief that Joseph felt. Wow, thankfully, Mary is telling the truth. She didn't step out on our commitment. Verse 21, the angel said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. Let's talk about the name Jesus for a moment. If you're taking notes, the name Jesus means God saves, God saves, or God is salvation. Jesus is a Greek name. The Hebrew name, the equivalent, would be Yeshua, Jeshua, or Joshua, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So Joshua really is the Hebrew equivalent to the name Jesus. But all those names I just mentioned mean the same thing. God, or Jehovah, is salvation. God saves. In this one verse, Matthew 121, we see the whole theme of the Bible, one of the major themes of the Bible, summarized in the Christmas story. God saving us from our sins. If somebody asks you, what is the theme of the Bible? You can say, it's about God's salvation. You can also say, the theme of the Bible is Jesus. Because Jesus means God's salvation, or God is salvation. Let's think a minute for a moment about the big themes of the Bible, or the big uh, movements of the Bible. The Bible starts, from your left to right, with the book of Genesis. We see that God creates. God made all things. And then quickly, by Genesis 3, we see that sin breaks. Sin has broken all things. But right after Adam and Eve's sin, there's this promise from God that he's going to send a Savior. He's going to send a Redeemer. So really, from Genesis chapter 3 to the book of Revelation, the whole rest of the Bible is God's rescue mission to save us from our sins. God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves In the New Testament, we see that he not only saves us, but he transforms us, he changes us. And the book of Revelation ends with the truth that God restores. God's not going to leave things as they are, but God restores. Notice verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son... And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew again shows us how Jesus fulfills the promise for the Messiah. You can read all about it in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 is what he's referring to here. Emmanuel means God with us. What is Christmas all about? Christmas is all about God being with us. Verse 24 Notice what Joseph does. How does he respond to this? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, I've read this. You've read this. You've heard this if you've been in church for any length of time about how Joseph obeyed the Lord. This week, studying this text was the first time it hit me what Joseph was really doing. Now, I've known for a while that Mary had a bad reputation, really for the rest of her life. You see it in the Gospels. They never truly believed. The people in the town, her friends and family, never really believed that Jesus was virgin-born. Yeah, right. And so Mary had a bad reputation for the rest of her life. In at least three places, they refer to Jesus in the Gospels as like this illegitimate child. Well, 
But it never really occurred to me until this week that Joseph was assuming that bad reputation on himself by marrying Mary. Think about it. By him saying, okay, I'm going to still go ahead and marry this woman, he was either one of two things, admitting that the baby was his, and so he took that reputation on himself, or he was marrying a woman who had had a baby outside of their commitment with another man. And that also would have been disgraceful to Joseph's, Joseph's friends and family. But when I think of two words to describe Joseph, the words quiet obedience come to mind. Quiet obedience. You ever see one of those children's Christmas pageants, Christmas plays, right? Usually the cow has more of a speaking part than Joseph, right? Joseph doesn't really ever say a whole lot. The reason is, in the New Testament, Joseph is never recorded as speaking a word. Joseph is never recorded as having spoken a word. Now, we know that he did, but it doesn't record anything that Joseph said. It only records what Joseph did. And in verse 25, he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So that there was no question that this baby was virgin conceived and virgin born. They didn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. Now, what, what can we take away from all those verses? What's, if we were to look at these verses from the 30,000-foot level, what's one truth that we can believe? What's one big idea? Here it is. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge even when life feels like it's spinning out of control. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge even when life feels like it's spinning out of control. We could say it this way. Christmas reminds us that God is in control of all of life's circumstances, and we are not. Christmas reminds us that God is sovereign, and we are not. Christmas reminds us that God is in control of time and eternity, and we are not. Christmas reminds us that God has a plan, even when we don't. Christmas reminds us that God is writing the beautiful story of our lives, even though we may currently be in the most chaotic chapter. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge, even when life feels like it's spinning out of control. I love what the biblical scholar Mark Strauss writes about this text. Again, at the 30,000-foot level, he gets it. And he says this, This narrative, the narrative we just read, is permeated with the theme of divine providence, purpose and providence. The dreams of Joseph carry the story forward, confirming his anointed one and bringing his salvation plan to pass. Through it all, God is orchestrating events, inaugurating his plan of salvation. Now think with me for just a minute about the early church, almost 2,000 years ago, right? After Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and ascended back into heaven, it was about 30 or 40 years when the Gospel of Matthew was written. Most likely, the apostles and the evangelists went around preaching all the stories that they had heard from Jesus, but it wasn't compiled into the Gospel of Matthew again until three or four decades later. And these were given to the church. 
Now, the early church didn't meet in huge buildings like this one, but the early church often had to meet in houses. They had to meet many times in secret. They had to meet what we call underground. And usually it was a pastor or a deacon that would get up and read these inspired letters. They didn't have the whole New Testament bound in a nice leather cover like us. They were receiving these letters for the first time. They were still being pieced together into the canon of Scripture. And so picture, you're in the early church. You're scared. You're nervous. You're anxious. Persecution is coming from all sides. Persecution from the Romans. Persecution from the Jews. If you were a Jew who turned to Jesus, you were going to be persecuted. And so you're kind of wondering, like, how is this thing called Christianity going to survive? Is the church really going to make it? Have I made a mistake for bringing my family into this? And then the pastor or deacon gets up and reads Matthew 1 about how in all of history, God orchestrated all circumstances to bring about this one called Jesus who would save his people from their sins. You see, the providence of God was never intended to be a hammer that we hit people over the head with. The providence of God was intended to be a pillow that we rest our heads upon. For a Christian, the fact that God is in charge is the most comforting truth you could ever believe. It's kind of like whenever you get on a plane, right, and the flight attendant starts to talk. Who really listens to the flight attendant, right? Does anybody really ever listen to the flight attendant? Like, they're up there talking, unless I guess maybe you're on Southwest and they make it funny. But other than that, like, no one really listens to the flight attendant. But when you hit turbulence, man, everybody is looking around for that little card. What did that lady say? What did that guy say? What am I supposed to do if this thing? What am I supposed And the providence of God is like that. We don't often want to think about it until we go through hard times when we need it the most. And so my job is to prepare you for whatever hard season is next. And I'm going to need you as brothers and sisters in Christ to remind me of the providence of God. Whatever hard season comes next. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge even when we feel like life is spinning out of control. Could it be that the main message you need to hear this Christmas is that God is in charge? Maybe you've been crying tears that nobody knows you've been crying. Maybe you're missing someone, you're grieving someone that nobody knows you're grieving. Maybe you're hiding a broken heart that nobody knows you're hiding. Maybe you're grappling with bad news that no one knows you've received. Maybe you're being crushed in a way that no one knows you're being crushed. Maybe you're struggling with physical difficulties that no one knows you're struggling with. Maybe you're trying to heal from abandonment, rejection, anxiety, depression, disappointment that no one would even guess. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge even when it feels like life is spinning out of control. There's three things I want to leave you with quickly. Three things I want to encourage you to do. Here's the first one. Stop trying to comprehend it all. Trust Jesus today. Stop trying to comprehend it all. Just trust Jesus today. I'm speaking primarily now to unbelievers. 
If you're not yet a Jesus follower, I want to encourage you, stop trying to comprehend it all. Just trust Jesus today. Think of what, what Joseph, let's have some sympathy for Joseph. Think about all that he had to comprehend or at least believe within a few hours. His life got turned up on its head. And God didn't explain it all to him. He just called him to believe it. And God doesn't call you to comprehend the entire Bible in order to be a Christian. God just calls you to believe the gospel. I love this quote by Glenn Shrivener. He says, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. Choose your miracle. Right? You're going to believe in a miracle one way or the other. I choose to believe that God came and lived among us. There are many questions in the Bible that you don't have to understand to be a Christian. There are many questions in the Bible that I don't understand, and I do this for a living. The good news is that to get to heaven, you don't have to fully understand the whole Bible. The good news is that to get to heaven, you just believe the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I find that the call to become a Christian is a call to spend our lives studying, grappling with, and progressively understanding the Bible. Stop trying to comprehend it all. Trust Jesus today. Number two, for Christians... Stop trying to control it all. Surrender to Jesus today. Stop trying to control it all. Surrender to Jesus today. As a carpenter or stonemason, Joseph was accustomed to being in control. It was his job to make things fit, to square off the edges, to follow the plumb line, to measure twice and cut once. Or like some of us, measure once and cut twice. Surprises are not the friend of a builder. Joseph liked to know the plan ahead of time. Think about how hard it would have been for him to just receive this news out of nowhere. Do you know anybody like that? Know anybody who likes to know the plan ahead of time? Maybe you're like that. I know I'm like that, right? Those who live in my home, those who work with me, they know I like to know the plan. Some of us are blessed or cursed with that desire. Joseph would have been that way. But God calls him to stop trying to control it all, but to surrender his will to the Lord's. Joseph was used to taking the chisel, and Joseph was used to working on a project but now, for the first time, Joseph was the project, and God held the hammer and chisel in his hand. Let me ask you this question. Where in your life are you trying to play God? Right now, where in your life are you trying to play God? What are you hanging on to so tightly that it's almost as if whether God wants it or not, you are going to make it happen. That is not a healthy place to be. I've been there in my life more times than I care to admit. It is not a healthy place to be. Let me encourage you as your brother, as your pastor, stop it. Stop it. 
Your spouse will appreciate it. Your kids will appreciate it. Your church family, your colleagues at work will appreciate it. Yes, God calls us to take responsibility. But oh, when we cross that line to playing God, that's a dangerous place to be. Stop trying to control it all and simply surrender to Jesus. Number three, and lastly, stop trying to change it all. Be satisfied with Jesus today. Stop trying to change it all. Be satisfied with Jesus today. Think with me. Do you think Joseph ever wanted to change anything about the situation? I'm sure at least initially the temptation was there to change the way people were gossiping about Mary, to change the fact that his first baby wasn't his. And eventually when he came to the place that he recognized that this was the Messiah, this was the baby from the Holy Spirit, virgin born, when he came to that reality, I'm sure he still didn't want his wife to give birth to their first baby in a barn. Certainly there would have been room in the inn, but there was no room in the inn. Joseph couldn't control that. Joseph couldn't change that. But there was something about seeing Jesus face to face for the first time. Think with me, those of you with children or those of you who are aunts and uncles, grandparents, think with me for the first time you saw that baby's face. I can remember the first time seeing all three of our children's faces in different circumstances, but I remember the first time seeing our oldest's face. And you're scared, you're nervous, all this is going through your mind, and then you see that little baby's face Nothing else really matters, does it? There you are. You're satisfied. But Joseph wasn't just holding any baby. He was holding the creator of the universe. The little hands that wrapped around his pinky were the hands that made the stars. And when Joseph looked at Jesus, certainly the presence of Jesus was enough. Which is one of the other big themes in the Gospel of Matthew. Over in Matthew 1, he said that Jesus is God with us. The presence of Jesus is enough. And that theme carries all the way through the gospel of Matthew to Matthew 28. The very last verse of the gospel, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The presence of Jesus is enough. I have no idea what the next 20 days are going to be for any of you. I don't even know what the next 20 days are going to hold for me. But I can promise you this, Jesus is enough. As you approach this Christmas, remind yourself, Jesus is enough. As you talk to your children and your grandchildren, remind them that Jesus is enough. In a world that wants us to constantly be distracted by everything that glitters, God says, Jesus is enough. Why should we believe that? It goes back to our big idea. Christmas reminds us that God is in charge even when life feels like it's spinning out of control. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 